0: Welcome to this market commentator podcast. It's my weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. My name is Raik van Niekerk and my guest today is Justin Fleur from PSG. He manages the PSG balanced fund with Dirk Jooster. He's also an actuary. And a CFA, and he has been in the investment business for nearly a decade. Justin, thank you so much for joining me. You are an actuary, which is an interesting qualification in itself, but uh, is it an advantage or a disadvantage when you look at companies and need to make predictions of their future performance?
1: <laughs> Hi, good day, mate. Nice to speak to you. It's a very interesting question. I don't have a good answer for you. There are a few of us kind of in the, in the investment industry which have managed to escape from the clutches of pensions and insurance companies. I would say a couple of things. One is that actuarial training is typically you focused on, on long-term data. Uh, so it's very quantitative and typically quite a long-term approach that's there and with a very big emphasis on risk. And now that's usually used by insurance companies to price insurance products or pension funds to to manage you know, the asset liability matching. For some of us, it's it's actually quite a nice springboard into the investment world as well.
0: I'm sure there's an interesting debate within the the industry between CAs and uh, actuaries, uh, maybe an MBA or two as well. But anyway, let's talk about markets. I saw a very interesting presentation you did last year, and it related to how investable the so-called SA Inc. stocks were at that stage. And you were actually quite positive towards SA Inc. stocks which was in contradiction with uh, the views of several other fund managers. Do you still believe that's the case even after the
1: onset of COVID-19? I think definitely so. So I think that I would qualify that with a couple of very important points. So, so just to kind of dial back a bit and remind you why we thought there were actually good long-term investment opportunities, despite the pretty visible and visceral risks out there. And that was that they were, they were largely neglected. You know, Many of the companies we look at, very little following almost no sell side coverage and are perhaps in some cases perceived as more risky than they really are. And in our assessments, we were buying good companies, typically above average companies in our view, but with um, substantially below average prices. And I uh, and think they were, they were set up for decent subsequent few years. Now, obviously COVID was unexpected. And I think what, what happened was it just so happened. It was a human virus and not a computer virus as a, um, Reed Hastings from Netflix has pointed out. So, so it's benefits at a certain very narrow part of the market, which was, in our opinion, quite expensive already. And the part of the market that we're invested in, which, which actually is more sensitive to the human, the human dynamic, came under pressure. But nevertheless, we think these are still exceedingly good investments on an appropriate time horizon. And I think I'd also make the point that this is not a simple macro play on South Africa. We are just as concerned as everybody else on some of the fiscal and structural risks that our country faces but what we think people miss is that there's a lot more nuance and there's a lot more differentiation within the South African stock market than people think and a good example is a company like the JSE It's classified as an SA Inc stock it's obviously the the leading african stock exchange you know it's valued like one it's on a, an 11 call it an 11 12 pe pays out most of its earnings in cash and yet you know its earnings are going up substantially this year it's, it's not really coupled with um, with the South African economy. I think there's a lot of companies like that in our portfolio where, from a top-down view, people are selling them off or have sold them off because they're they perceived as risky SA Inc. stocks. But actually, there's, there's something intrinsic to them which we think is underappreciated. Yeah, the
0: JC is an interesting company. Year-to-date, virtually flat. Actually, over the past five years, it's virtually flat. But I think it's may, it may be a, a good example as an SA Inc. stock which offers value, and many fund managers have invested in f- shares and stocks that offer value, but they haven't performed at all. And it's not only in the short term, they haven't performed in five years. And the stocks that did perform are the expensive NASPERS uh, and Process and uh, the mining stocks. And of course, that many people don't see value still at NASPERS and Process where they are currently. Does that toy at the back of your mind, listen, the stuff we are buying are not going up, although they offer really good value. Uh, the stuff that's expensive continue to run, but we don't see it, it offering value.
1: Yeah. It's, it, look, it's challenging because it means that especially over the short term performance relative to our, our objectives can lag behind as it's doing now. Or as it has done over the last year or so. And, um, so, so it is definitely challenging. I think I think what you're alluding to is the importance of avoiding value traps and really identifying, you know, true value. And sometimes it can take a long time to emerge. Ultimately, cash flows need to emerge out of these investments over the appropriate time horizon. And if they don't, that's going to be very difficult to achieve. Yeah, certainly. I think we're spending a lot of our time trying to think about, you know, sifting between what could be value traps and making sure that we 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 in ones that that do have a good future and that are perhaps underappreciated now but it is important to also step back and actually just evaluate the importance of cycles our sense is that we are at the tail end of a very very long cycle there's a number of components to it emerging markets being one of them and certainly the the south african business cycle and while there are structural components to it we do think there are and you can see it in our particularly now a lot of our foreign our foreign flows on the equities and the bond side they tend to move in cycles so what we'd like to do is 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 buy good companies with good prospects at good valuations and then if you buy them at the right points in the cycle often it looks bad over the last 5 years but you can you can get very 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 good outcomes over the subsequent 5
0: covid-19 changed the world in many ways uh, and in many ways it also accelerated the uh, performance trajectories of several companies, and it changed it significantly, especially so-called SA Inc. stocks as well. Do you think over-19 has
1: changed this environment? I think there would be some, some aspects which would be permanent, some that would be quite short-term in nature it would probably be, and probably reverse over the next couple of years. And I think what's challenging right now is to try and sift between those two things. On the one hand, you've got things like working from home. You know, I think we're all going to be doing a little bit more of that in the future. Not clear how much or to what extent, but there's probably going to be a little bit of that at least. Whereas there's some very short-term phenomena that, that obviously come in, which has been very good for a very narrow range of companies out there. But and, and as a result, their valuations have expanded to reflect that, which is partially appropriate. But I think there's also an implicit bet there that these shifts are going to be permanent and you're not going to get a reversion at some point in the future. So I think it's very hard to say, Rick, we typically try to acknowledge that we, we're we not very good predictors of big macro trends. What we prefer to do is really try and look at the bottom-up fundamentals um, of the individual companies that we're looking at. And questions like this are relevant, but that's typically the lens through which we try to do that.
0: Let's look at the the fun fact sheet of the PSG Balance Fund, the one you co-manage with Dirk Uyster. And if you look at the top 10 equity holdings, Right at the top is uh, AB InBev and then Discovery. Now, AB InBev, it's an interesting company. I think many people see it as a conservative company, but it has performed not too well over the, the past few years. Year-to-day down 22%, over the past three years down 40%. And it's got a PE ratio of 57, probably due to some provisions. But what are your views on, on a company like this? It's the biggest holding you have in the fund, and it's not performing too well.
1: Yeah, so it's, this is actually a, re- a fairly recent investment for us. And I think, you know, some of the reasons for where it's at are very important. You know, they, I think they're completely overpaid for the SAP Miller um, acquisition. I think they bought excellent assets, but they they got completely carried away. And I think they were perhaps a little bit surprised by how much the regulators forced them to dispose in order to get the, the antitrust uh, rulings through. So I think that was, they probably destroyed quite a lot of value there. And then the emerging market cycle has not been kind to them they have largely dollar and hard currency debt and a substantial portion of their revenues have been in emerging markets like the brazilian real and the south african rand and obviously the cycle has been very very adverse for them over the last three years in particular now that all sounds terrible but when we we look at it we're actually very excited because there's a couple of things that we like about it now that we didn't like about it before and one is the valuations improved substantially. It's fallen materially from the highs. And it, it used to be th- this classic glamour stock that everybody loved. It was in a lot of people's portfolios. And now, you know, after a bit of underperformance, nobody wants it anymore. And that's, it. And that's typically the time when, when, when we get interested. We tend to take a fairly contrarian view on these things. That's just the one thing. The other one is there's a big market perception that their debt is very, very high. And as a result, very, very risky which we would partially agree with, but what we think the market misses, and if you look at the detail of how they've structured that debt, it's a real masterclass in how a CFO should manage the balance sheet. It's, it's really amazing. They've, they've taken advantage of this low-rate environment, and they've, they've extended their finance out to 30, 40 years in some cases, and they've got a very, very clean window in terms of near-term obligations at very low rates and fixed fixed rates as well. So you put this all together and at the end of the day, you, know, you always come back to the fact that this is a brewing company. It's probably one of the highest quality business models out there um, with very, very substantial competitive advantages, both on the demand and the supply side. And we think the emerging market cycle will turn eventually. So you, know, you put, put all of that into a pot and we, we really, really like this investment from here. So this is, a, this is an investment that we, we didn't own any at the beginning of the year. But we, we bought aggressively in March, April. So for the balance fund, this has been probably one of the, the key, key areas of activity over the last couple of months.
0: Over the past six months, it's uh, up nearly 10 percent, so it did perform well. The second biggest holding in the fund is Discovery, which is a very, very interesting company. It, it is doing uh, interesting
1: things. Uh, why are you bullish on Discovery? it's a very controversial one quite amazing it's it's um, i think it's it's very well known by south african investors but very little love for it i think you, you'll find it in very very few institutional fun fact sheets out there uh, and i think that's one of the reasons why we attracted to it as well is um, we think we think it's it's a little bit underappreciated so i think one thing that is true is it's a very complex business and i think there's good reason to be wary of complexity and i think that is an appropriate statement to make but we think if if you're willing to spend the time sifting through the complexity as we have done, it's actually highlighted a number of very, very attractive characteristics. And I think principle among them is the JST is, is starved of companies that can actually grow organically. And this is one that has a demonstrated ability to do that. Even through this, it'd be quite amazing how they've performed through this crisis. Uh, reasonably defensive, they've gained substantial market share. And this is a company that, that forfeits near-term profits in a substantial way. They're investing heavily, countercyclically, cyclically, and they've got a, a remarkable track record of building businesses from scratch. Now in South Africa, most African management teams, when they wanna grow, they buy things. This is one of the few companies out there that actually builds things. And you know, they're not always gonna get it right. You know, a lot of the detractors point to the US and Destiny Health as a, as a, as a valid reason for concern. But we would say on, in general, their batting record is pretty good. And I think Adrian Gore and the guys have, have been brave. They've taken risks but they've typically been rewarded and I think this is one for patient shareholders we we think this is a one of the few companies on the on the jse that could be substantially larger in five ten years time and there's a variety of kind of areas that could come from
0: and they have an exposure to some Chinese businesses who also show a lot of promise and potential but I see that the share price rose from sixty seven rand on the twentieth of March to the current one hundred and 22 rand a share. That's a bounce of nearly 85%. When did you buy into Discovery? I mean,
1: it's quite a good example of, I think, um, of how volatile things have been. And, you know, this is, this is a, a kind of a, a good reminder of the fact that there, I think there are opportunities for active managers out there and to take advantage of, of dislocations between value and price because people over, overestimate the risks and there's some technical reasons for selling in certain cases. But that's just the one thing to say is we were quite surprised at how volatile it was, but we're not surprised at, at where it's at at the moment. We think it's worth a lot more than, than the current share price as well. As far as it goes, we've been investors in, in Discovery for, for a while. Uh, so it's been, it's been in our funds for a number of years, probably at least the last three or four. But it's, it's really, we, we really took the opportunity in March to, to buy quite a bit more. So it's, um, it's increased, we, we increased the weight in the funds a little bit in, in March, April as well.
0: We'll have to leave it there. Thank you, Justin. That was Justin Fleur. He is uh, a fund manager at PSG and he co-manages the PSG Balanced Fund.